This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Welcome, movie lovers, back for another Anatomy of Movie. Natalie Portman shines in the shimmer. Alex Garland's follow-up to Ex Machina, It's Annihilation. Stay tuned as we dissect it. Welcome to Popcorn Talk, featuring movie discussion, news, and interviews. Popcorn Talk. We talk movies. And now, here's Popcorn Talk's Anatomy of a Movie. Ladies and gentlemen, we enter the mind of Jeff Vandermeer and Alexander Garland. But before we do, allow me to introduce Marissa Serafini. Hello, everyone. And Dimitri Panos. Hey, movie fans, please don't enter my mind. You'll... No. It's no good. <laughs> oh, well. We've got lots to discuss today, as we always do. First off, if, if you're joining us for the very first time, we dissect the movie in a spoiler-filled way. We assume that you've seen the movie. Uh, with a movie like this, we'll, we're going to kind of make some tie-ins to the book as well, so the book might be a little bit spoiled for you. So if you haven't seen or read both, you know, we recommend that you do so. However, you've been warned, so you can choose not to do it, as a lot of our fans actually do. We talk about the story and, of course, the behind-the-scenes aspects of it. If you're returning, well, welcome back. Good to have you. And as always, you can always get our notes in the description box. There's a link to a PDF. All you have to do is open that up, and it's got all of our lovely, lovely notes that we pull from as we dissect an anatomy of a movie. Before we get into all things, as we do, we must start with overall impressions. So, Marissa, what did you think of Annihilation? Okay, so I went into this film really having no clue what it was about, or like I, I kind of purposely avoided the premise of it because I just wanted watching the trailer looked so cool. Like it was a very well made trailer, very well cut in the music. It was intriguing to watch, and like love Natalie Portman, so already I was going to be there. You didn't have to really take a lot to convince me. Um, didn't know the the premise, so watching it, I'm like ah, oh, okay. Interesting. And as I kept watching, we'll definitely get into it, more and more women were on screen. I was like, love it, all about it. And then crazy things happened. I'm like, yeah, I like this film. At the end, kind of a mind fuck, but I enjoyed it. Okay. Overall, I enjoyed it. I, I texted someone immediately afterwards. I was like, yeah, this is a really good sci-fi movie. All right. Dimitri? Well... Um, before I begin, I just have to do a little p- quick preface, and w- what that's going to mean, or what that's going to be, is I'm going to give a definition, Harlan Ellison's definition of what science fiction is. Uh, I use Harlan Ellison because he is one of the godfathers of science fiction, with writing over 1,800 science fiction stories in his career, being a contributor to Star Trek and such. Uh, very opinionated man, but he's someone who I revere. He's someone who... From reading him and watching his opinions, he's actually opened up my my eyes to appreciate science fiction more. So it's actually rather quite simple. Science fiction is about exploring the human condition in situations outside of our current world. The key words for me there are the human condition. So in regards to analyzing Annihilation for me, there was a lot to try to unpack, but what I was having a struggle 
doing was figuring out, is this science fiction or is it just an artsy-fartsy alien invasion movie? Because I was struggling to find where is the human condition in this movie? What is the human condition about? Like, how... How is it brought to light in, 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 in the shimmer, so to speak? And for the life of me, I couldn't find it. I could not find a story that was about the human condition. And we've talked a lot of science fiction movies here, whether it be something like Interstellar or Blade Runner 2049. Uh, a lot of science fiction can be very ambiguous, and it leaves a lot to the imagination and, and leads to great discussion. I found nothing to be ambiguous in this movie, particularly the ending. The ending for me, it, it just tells you exactly what happens. And in doing so, uh, for me, it became an artsy-fartsy alien invasion movie. The best I can say is that the movie didn't make me angry, but I didn't love it at all. Interesting. All right. Well, I, I like Marissa, saw the trailers. However, unlike Marissa, I saw them. I was like, this is a piece of garbage. That said, when I saw the movie and within the first couple of minutes, I was like, oh, this is very different from what the trailer presented me. This is way better than what the trailer told me it would be. And so I got into it. Uh, I don't think it's a perfect movie. I think there's a lot to discuss. I do agree that the ending is finite in terms of what it is, in terms of what it means. That we can debate all day. Uh, and when we do, in fact, get into the ending discussion, there's a, I don't know who said it, but I heard it somewhere, and I can't wait to pull that quote uh, into the discussion. Also, I should mention that we will, t- of course, towards the end, talk about the Netflix debacle and all that as we get into box office and so forth. So um, fear not, we will talk about that. If you have no idea what I'm talking about, guess what? You're going to learn. And but- this movie was even accused of being whitewashing, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which I thought was very fascinating, too. But it's it's interesting because I, I did like the trailer. There's two people in it. How, did, I, how is it whitewashing? Uh, we can get into it, but I, I did like the trailer. Uh, I, I, I liked the cast that I saw. Um, uh, I enjoy the director. I was a huge fan of Ex Machina. Uh, I, I I knew that this was going to be heady science fiction, um, you know. But but there were many again. There were many elements too. It was like a, a, a artsy version of the thing, or an invasion of the body snatchers. Uh, there were there were things about it that I, I don't know. I, I can compare it to other. There, there are other tropes from other other movies that that I found better. Um, and yeah, we can talk about that. You know, I look forward to talking about the ending. Um, but I did like the trailer. Uh, I, you know, I'm with you. The, the, the trailer grabbed okay. me only because the literally the talent, whether it was the on-screen talent and the and the, and the director. I was like, oh, I like this guy, um, and this looks you know right up my alley. Uh, I, I was going to enjoy it. I just wished I enjoyed it more. So let's start to dig into it. First mm-hmm. off, if if you love Alexander Garland, definitely check out our Ex Machina discussion. We did cover that. Uh, but as far as he's concerned, so Alexander Vandermeer wrote this book, and it, it turns out it was a trilogy. And he, unlike most trilogies, he released it in pretty quick succession over the course of— Jeff he, Vandermeer. Jeff Vandermeer. 
What did I say? Alex Vandermeer. Ah. We have Alex Garland, <laughs> Jeff Vandermeer. Right, Just wanted to know my Just mistakes. Just clarification. <laughs> yes. Jeff Vandermeer wrote this trilogy, um, the, the Southern Research Trilogy, and if you've seen the movie, you can understand why it would be called that. And literally released, I'm talking about four months apart. So he had it all kind of written out. Now, as far as the movie's concerned, it's A, very loosely based on the first book and only the first book. It doesn't take into account the rest of the novels. In fact, Alexander Garland never read the last two. Yeah, and it's interesting because Garland himself is an author. Uh, and so he knows what it takes. But, but, but he says something uh, that I find very – and I found this on a Collider interview. And basically, you know, he knows – going from novelist to screenwriter to director. And, 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 and he says something that I completely agree with, that novels and films – novels and films are independent of each other. So working off of the first book, not knowing the rest of the trilogy uh, – yeah, I get it. It's fine, you know. He and and the changes would, you know. And apparently they were vast. Well, I guess when we get into that, but there were a lot of changes. Um, but the whitewashing part doesn't come in actually because of uh, comes in in the second book where we learn a little bit more about our main character uh, played by Natalie Portman. But that's not until the second book. In the first book, apparently, from what I understand, none well, of the characters have names. Allow me to introduce it, right? So yeah. uh, I did not finish the entire book, so I can't speak to the entirety of the, the first novel. Uh, but I did get enough into it to, to understand and be able to at least tell you guys a little something. So number one, it's told through journal entries. And, and first off, that's a huge departure from the, the movie because... In that sense, you'd kind of have to keep it to voiceover in a sense, and already there's that big distinction, which I like, the fact that they did it. Uh, number two, in the in the book itself, yes, you are correct. They they are referred to as their purpose, whether a biologist, a surveyist, they, they wanted a linguist. Uh, that didn't happen. And the reason for that is because they want to solely focus on the mission and the purpose of the mission rather than get attached as human beings, which for a science fiction novel, I, I, I kind of understood, okay, yeah, that's kind of cool. Um, and yeah, and, and at no point I thought, you know, at, at first reading it, having read, oh, the characters are supposed to be Asian, at no point in the book is there a distinction about that. And I was like, oh, maybe it's later because I didn't read the whole thing. But if it's not there, it's not there. And And for me... As Marissa pointed out, the cast is quite diverse. I think so. And they've kept them all all women, which is great. And so what I, I don't understand the Yeah, it's it's stupid people. And we've talked about the people who complain about whitewashing, you know, on various other movies like Ghost in the Shell and and, and the Wall or the Great Wall. Gods of uh, Egypt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, it's been it's sort of ridiculous. Um can I ask a, a question just to sort of, like the the book itself, because you did say that they came out in such quick succession, which is rare these days. How many pages was it? Is it a novel or a novella? No, no, no. It's it's about 200, let's say 30 pages each. Okay. You know, and... So he had everything mapped out, if not already written with the publisher, and they just decided to chop it up, I guess, and maybe release it. Yeah. Uh, You know. So... But that is rare, because usually a novella like Stephen King did that with, like, um, I forget if it was, like, The Green Mile or... 
he's he's done that with some books. Um, John Scalzi has done it with smaller books, and then they get put together. So that's why mm-hmm. I was curious to know how how many pages. Yeah, no, it's it's a each book is self-contained, and well, I can't say self-contained, but contained in the sense of the pages right. and and the length. So, um, but overall, you know, Alex Garland took to this, and he was he was awestruck and and whatnot. Um, and then it kind of came into existence. Uh, you know, Scott Rudin, who very famous producer, was able to help put this together um, alongside with him, and then we're sort of off to the races. Uh, and, and of course, we'll, we'll break it down in more detail than that. But but I do want to. There's so much discussion around the story that I, I just want to get into that. Mm-hmm. Where do you, where to begin? Why don't we talk about the shimmer? What does the shimmer represent to you? What does it mean? What is it? I liked it. It it looked pretty, but also but um, scary enough that you can't trust what's on the other side. And you know the trailer did a good job of explaining that hey, if you go into the shimmer, bad things happen, or you don't know what's going to happen. I did love the slow progression of what we actually learned what the shimmer actually does, like the prism. And how it refracts everything and changes DNA. It's it takes the same thing but changes it up and just the look of it and the physicality of it. I think that was very smart in a very scientific way that you know this film would have in in a specific narrative because it it changes what we as an audience know what a prism is and what the purpose does and how they switch it up in the the normal beliefs of and just science and chemistry in that way i think was pretty smart yeah i mean for me i mean the, sh- the shimmer was a dish soap bubble um <laughs> i i think that my if i you know to nitpick just uh, a part of the creative part of the story um what was what was really good and then the flip side of that what wasn't so good for me is every time we were like once they entered the shimmer uh, we would see light coming from the sky, uh, you know, through the trees and whatnot. And that light had that rainbowish soap dish bubble appearance, right? The translucency of the, the oily type of the, and the various colors. However, when you looked in the sky, there was, there was the blue sky. So I don't know whether or not the shimmer was a wall. Whether what the height of this wall was, I don't know. Like I was, my my first interpretation was this was a dome that was expanding. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and 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 being that she was a uh, a genetic biologist who studied molecules, I got that whole part. But again, I just go back to John Carpenter's the thing where they really make it a point that the you know that what the thing does and how he replicates or it replicates is through. Glomming on to the molecule, the molecule would spread apart and become more and more of that person. And this is what was happening here. Um, so what, did, what, what your interpretation of the shimmer? Was it a dome? Was it a wall? What? Like, I, I took it more as a wall of sorts. Uh, I didn't think, consider it a dome because never were we shown that it was a dome. Then if the sky, if it's a wall, how does the light come down and the light is coming down or is it because the light's being refracted within that area that's expanding? See, I, I took it more as a, a dome because we, we saw where 
the the comets or meteorite you know, like hit mm-hmm. and then we, i i believe there was an actual moment where they showed on a map of like only the location of the shimmer and it was only like a certain spot i was like okay it can't be a wall because if it was a wall it'd be like linear borders kind of instead of a spot where you you would think it would cover up something like a dome Interesting. So I take yeah. it as that physical aspect of it. We never really saw the top because that's not where they were getting to. They were getting to a specific location, not the height of it. No, I understand. But again, like, because I, I took it as a dome too, but every time we're, pretty much most of the time, if not every time we're in an exterior shot and they showed the sky, the sky was just blue. Like or maybe it goes no, too high. Who knows how well, far it reaches. The sky does reflect so other light anyways. There's a reason why the sky is blue. It reflects and refracts different colors. And no, I, I so understand I like, that. If you get a third shimmer on, it's going to refract more more light. I, I understand, but it was a clear boundary that they walked through. It was mm-hmm. a clear, like, you know, you saw. Right. Uh, and so, and if this is a dome, that should be consistent with what we're walking through, what membrane uh, it is, what bubble it is that they're going through. And the movie and the cinematography and the director, and I'm sure is a, a, a conscious choice, the light coming through the trees or whatever, there was always that, that rainbow right here that we have up on screen. There was always that rainbow of color, in a sense, that was shining shining down through the forest and the gardens <laughs> and through the water and such. That's what I was just trying to grapple with, what it was. Um, so it's interesting because somebody else also said a wall. I had the conversation this morning on my drive up and somebody said, maybe it's a well, wall. Well, the interesting part is in the book, it's completely invisible. Which it's com- So how do they... I don't... It's curious. It's <laughs> completely invisible. I think that that's one of the things that actually they had to translate for screen. Absolutely. Just so we know, hey, we're entering a different type of world. Sure. I, I agree. I mean, you have to cinematically represent it in one way, shape, or form. And yeah. I, I think they did a good job. But again, there was just a miniseries based off of the Stephen King novel, The Dome, which a dome covers up. That and, was an actual dome. You know, that was, you know, that was a dome. But I agree with you, Marissa, 100%, that from a, for a cinematic visual experience, you need them to go through something that looks like something that we may not have seen before. Yeah, it was also just like a reflection of the things that we saw in it. I mean, yeah, the creatures got mutated, not to jump ahead. But like the flowers and stuff that we saw in it, there, there's like an element of beauty to it. And yeah. the shimmer, it looked pretty on the outside. Would you want to touch it? No. But it's also with the things inside it. Yeah, it looks pretty, but don't mess with it. Yeah. Well, did you guys... As far as the shimmer was concerned, okay, it's a, it's a vast unknown, but part of it becomes, is it good or is it evil? And, I, you know, this kind of gets you into ending territory, but ultimately, is the shimmer good or is it evil? Or is it just a third option, like all things in life, too confusing to tell? <laughs> I wouldn't really put a moral thing on it if it's good or evil. I think it was just... It's a tangible thing, and it's the way you look at it, too, because I, I believe there is a line that's like, it's, it's destroying everything, or, or is it creating something new? And, I mean, it, there's a negative and there's a positive aspect of how you look at it. I think it's just, it was a thing not necessarily meant for evil or good. I mean, it, 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 for me, the way that I approached it is that it was changing everything to its own environment matrices um so 
whether there was a full-on invasion. Again, with the way that I interpret the ending is okay. It found the two. It found two compatible bodies in which it could change the DNA, and they're not going to uh, uh, die f- from this change. They were able to come outside. Everything that looked to be inside was affected in one way, shape, or form, whether it be plant-based or whether it be animal-based. But it definitely changed the makeup, and we learn about that. In the movie, again, there was no ambiguity about what this refraction was doing to DNA and how it was modifying to suit its to suit its needs. And now it found these two people who can step outside and live beyond the shimmer. Uh, and now that the shimmer is gone, well, it doesn't need the shimmer anymore because now it has two people who can perhaps reproduce, perhaps cause somebody else's DNA thrive outside. So that's where I was taking the thing aspect of it because these people were representations of the real people that we were introduced to uh, at the beginning of the movie and then throughout. Natalie Portman makes an astounding discovery that she took a blood sample and she noticed that she was evolving or she was changing and the same can be said, and she used that theorem for everybody else as well. All right. So I think now's a good time to bring in the interpretation that I heard. Now, <clears throat> this either will help you, Dimitri, or it will just <laughs> solidify that this is artsy-fartsy. So someone's interpretation was of it was, um, and it's someone from Twitter, so I, I apologize. don't know the name, and it wasn't tweeted at me, so it's not like I can actually look it up. Um, I heard it through another uh, – podcast about movies and so forth but uh, the quote goes essentially that the movie's a representation on depression everyone there in in the group has had some sort of pain in their life and that the whole idea especially with jennifer jason lee that she talks about annihilation and then it's the aha moment of why it's called annihilation at the end when natalie her doppelganger it's representative of the most of us prevent ourselves from growing and so it's the literal representation of your being in your own way it's self-destruction pre- self-destruction yeah well it's self-destruction in the sense that that you're your own worst enemy and so in order to evolve you have to get out of your own way sort of thing and i'm not doing it as as as, as justice as it was written but mm-hmm. that's the sentiment so does that help change or, nah, no, but I've read opinion. that. I, I've read that in various articles uh, written specifically about this movie, about mm-hmm. self-destruction, about looking at oneself, about coping. Because each of the the other thing that the movie does too is it sets up uh, each of these characters uh, have good reason to be depressed. They have a tragic past. So, they have tragic past and fairly recent tragic pasts. Yeah. Um, so uh, I found that interesting, but there was no. But again, there were only two people who were able to come out, uh, uh, for lack of better words, alive. So the rest them so. imploded. Right. Well, like okay, that that's very interesting how you how you brought that. I'm just thinking about it because it seems like everyone else except for Lena. Um, yeah, they had tragic past, but it seemed like they had nothing else to live for. Like, they, they kind of gave up on life. You you could tell there was a moment there, like, we're going in. It, in their minds, 
it seemed like a suicide mission for them. And they seemed okay with it. It's not like they, they wanted to keep going on with their lives. True. Um, Lena went in there with an actual purpose, also wanting to come out, too, to hopefully get back to her husband. And like, she didn't seem that far lost compared to everybody else. I, but it was noted to your you know, to your point, it was noted, and the word suicide mission was, was mentioned at the very least one time that I can recall, if not yeah, a it. couple of times. Okay. You know, the way that I looked at the Jennifer Jason Lee character is that she had some semblance what's going on, and that perhaps by going in there, maybe there could be a cure. Um, you know, knowing that people didn't come out, knowing that things change, and knowing that she had that similar scientific background. And that, that too, to me, was the other very fascinating aspect of this movie, aside from them being all women, they were all biologists. Um, they were all smart. You know, well, yeah, but but usually, again, in a, in a science fiction movie, you, you, you take people like you said the book had a linguist, right? If you're gonna, if, no, they did not. They wanted they a linguist, wanted, but they cut but the they, linguist. But they cut well, like the, the different linguist. Fields so, but yeah. of study. There are various fields of study to yeah. go into explore this. Uh, they were all biologists. Um, they all had their backgrounds. Um and it was very interesting, uh, each of their takes on various things. Um, for example, when they find the video uh, of, um, of uh, uh, Lena's husband, Kane, and he's cutting open that guy's stomach and cool. pulling it aside. Now, for me, an audience member, I, there was no... Uh, other interpretation other than there was something inside him living. Uh, that's the way I saw it. But yet we had the one soldier, uh, uh, Ferreira, who was like, oh, it's a trick of the light. What are you looking at that that's a trick of the light? And so they each had various opinions. She was the negative, like, she, she was the counter intuitive person, like, oh, well, there's a bear out there. No, there isn't a bear out there. It's just some, and until the berator. So it was just interesting to see how other people were grappling with their loss or their impending loss. Um, you know, if you want to look at it that way. But again, in the end, two people did survive. And now they are well, going to propagate that species. Or we don't know what they're going to do. This kind of, when you talk about that, there's an unacceptingness to to admit what's actually there. And so as far as Lena and then Kane, they like you know, to Marissa's point, she she went in there with a purpose. And I think the purpose was to save him. And I think by the end, what she ultimately realizes, and through the lessons of these other people, is that the way to do that, I I rather than try to solve something, I must let it consume me. And that's the the saving grace of it all. Uh, for example, and and I, I think that too. Um, I forget the character's name, but uh, when she becomes like Flower Lady. Uh yeah, uh, Josie. Josie, I think that was another moment of okay. I'm just going to sort of accept, and rather than I'm just going to give in because that's ultimately far better. And it's not a sense of uh, waving the white flag. It's a sense of being at peace. Right. Mm-hmm. So I thought that was an interesting parallel, at yeah. least for me. And I can't even, can't even really call that like a death 
per se. It was more so because she was becoming something else. I mean, she is still technically living within amongst the other organisms there. I did like that because uh, I liked her character. I was rooting for her. I, I, she was one of the people I was hoping that like would make it to the end. Unfortunately, she doesn't. But um, I, I liked all, all the different girls and their personalities. But yeah, they were all essentially biologists, but they all had different personalities that somehow... And I think that what makes up for their different, you know, fields. Right. It was uh, this is how you distinguish each other is just by their personalities and their backgrounds. And that, and I actually, I'm okay with that because the answers and they all contributed. They all had their moments of information that added to what we're all learning as an audience. Yeah, I mean, to me, there were there were a, a, a cast of characters, and they, they were let's just say a bunch of characters. Who had nothing to lose by mm-hmm. going in? You know, they each knew. But they had nothing else Lena. to live for. Well, well but earlier Same you thing said, to me. You yeah. know, I mean, well, I mean, Lena had, according to what you're saying, she did have something to live for to try to save her, her husband. But had they had nothing else. to lose. They had nothing to lose by going in there. They, they, they went in with the knowledge, knowing that it's a suicide mission, that there were other missions that had gone in, that had gone on. And nobody had, uh, nobody came back. So there even seemed to be uh, a mission either that you, you know prior to Kane going into the Shimmer. So they were they were a downtrodden group uh, who had they were chosen. They they picked it. They knew what they were getting themselves into, and they knew that there was a very high percentage rate that they're not coming back. So, um, what what do you learn from that? Um, are you asking me? You're going to yeah, tell me? Like, no, I, I'm asking. Like, what do you like? What do you gain from that? I mean, they couldn't transmit. That's the other interesting thing too. There was no communication really from inside and outside. You couldn't do it because the signal was getting bounced back, refracted. So, where is this knowledge? Like, like they had all this knowledge that they were building on. And yet you couldn't tell the outside world, literally, unless you survive what's going on. And uh, even through Lena's interrogation, let's say, um, you know, it makes me wonder, because at first she was saying she doesn't remember anything. But she seemed to remember quite a lot. (laughs) And, And how detailed everything, like her story was. But I'm not entirely sure... Like that, the people in the outside interrogating her were the more wiser by the end of the movie. Uh, and then, you know, we know what happens to Kane and Lena. That I, I felt was a misstep for the movie. I don't, I, I get that it was a plot device, but it wasn't necessary to retell the story in that way. Like, like through flashback or through just. Yeah, just tell, tell it from start to finish and, and it's fine in, in that way. Because I think it, it it was just a waste of a character ultimately, and just added a couple more minutes that that just to me detracted not not, not even the fact that it was neutral or benefited it was detracted altogether. Kane, not Kane, uh, the interrogation part. Oh, that part. Well, I mean, I can see that. I I think it was one of the scenes that they only set up because it would make more sense at the end. Because we get the audience also questioning, are you really Lena or are you this alien now creature? Right. 
And I think that's it. And is but, that alien creature telling the entire truth? Again, she starts off saying, you know, I really don't remember. I forget how that person, now she went missing, and there was a lot of that. Now, talking about the interrogation scene, because I already mentioned that it reminded me of other movies, it reminded me of The Arrival, which to me was a far, which is a far better, I mean, that's a movie you can dig deep into as well. That's a fantastic science, a great example of science fiction. Um, The same type of pacing as you go along and you're giving clues as the movie goes on. It it has flashbacks. It has an interrogation um, to Flash it. I mean, right? Yeah, right. And you know, I, I couldn't help but think of the arrival uh, at certain points of watching this movie uh, too, which well, I think hurt my liking this movie more as well. I think, you know, to your point, Marissa, I don't think that, they had to take out the scene necessarily, but they didn't need to use it in that way. I think they could accomplish that. Like, is it a, is she an alien? Is she not like that whole thing could have happened still in the movie, been kept to a 30, 40 second scene and not done it throughout in that way. Because right now what it's saying is I am the audience surrogate. I'm going to ask the questions. And the only reason they're being asked is so, we can move this forward for the audience rather than just trust them to to go on the journey. So as far as missteps, I actually think that was a misstep of the movie. Yeah. I mean, I can understand it. And I think it could have been executed in other ways if we took that out because there were visual cues that would make the audience have their own interpretations if this is the real Lena or not. Because when we saw Kane at the beginning of the film, he takes a sip of the water and there's blood on a cup. And then when we see Lena at the end of the movie, she takes a sip of water and there's no blood. You kind of like, there are visual cues where you can think, is she really the original one or not? But not only was there no blood in the cup, I I think that, I think the water, I think the, I think the glass of water was extremely important in the movie because what, what does water do? Water also reflects, reflects light. It, could make things look differently when you look through a glass of water. The one visual cue that I got, outside of the blood, or not being blood, right? I mean, what was what was Lena studying throughout the entire movie? She was studying mo- molecules. She was studying cancer molecules and yes. molecules and cells. She was studying yeah, cells. And then there was always two, four, six. They always, like, split up. When she puts that glass down at the end... Not only is there no blood, but if you notice the way that the water sort of cascades back into the glass, it's split like a cell at the top of the rim. You know, uh, you, you could watch uh, how beer hangs on or how wine is in a glass. It's always a test of how good or how poorly a beer or a wine is made. But in this particular scene where her hand was, that water separated and it, I think it was a purpose visual cue that something was going on because mm-hmm. there was no blood. The eyes, though, always have it. <laughs> the eyes give it away. They are windows into the soul. And well, it, to so, me, it, 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 it symbolized the fact that they've perfected something. Now, granted, the, whether he was more uh, than her at that point, but but they realized how to sort of make this go forward. They They tried with him, but he was almost about to die. Now, she's fine. That's right. the way I interpreted it. Or she's evolved so much that water doesn't affect her. 
Yeah, I'm not even sure. He seemed to be sick. Now, again, the opening 10 minutes of this movie were fascinating to me. We learn about her character, uh, her her loss, her husband's loss. We learn that it's been pretty much almost exactly to the year. And uh, coping with loss and how to do it. And she's painting her bedroom. She's... That's a step. She's moving. She's she's beginning to to have her head out of the clouds, out of that fog. And while she's doing that, look who shows up. And I was like, "Whoa, okay, this is interesting." Is are we going into science fiction like horror kind of thing? Like what's happening here? Um, that was very interesting. Yes, you're like, "Whoa, very creepy." It was. It was. It was a very for me. It did grab me. I was like, okay, this is fascinating. Where are we going with this? Be- Again, the trailers don't set any of that up at all. They only set up that he's already in the hospital and that she doesn't want to go and save him. So I was like, ooh, fascinating. This is interesting stuff. Um, but then it went completely, <laughs> and then it went, just went off into the shimmer. Um, but I, the first 10 minutes grabbed me uh, because of that scene mm-hmm. in her house. You know, in the way, and you could tell that Kane was a little off. He almost oh, seemed yeah. like he had PTSD. And I'm like wondering, why the hell did they let him out? And why didn't they just call her <laughs> to come and pick him up? Yeah, I, mean, I, I think, to me, it was far worse than PTSD. I mean, that, that would, like, PTSD combined with I'm deaf and mute. Huh. And have no personality anymore. Uh, so, I, yeah. I, I thought that was a interesting scene as well. Um, let's talk about their relationship because it obviously the the movie hinges on this in a lot of ways, uh, and we do get flashbacks to how she copes with his loss and what she does over the years. So I want to get you guys' thoughts on that. Uh, Mercy, you want to kick us off? Um, I think the relationship was interesting enough. I think there was I there is a point in the relationship I can believe that they were at one point in love. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Um, did really like each other in, in, in that way and love each other in, their, in that way. Um, I would, but when she, but you can definitely tell there was a disconnect because of his job. He's not allowed to tell her where, what he's up to, where he's going for how God knows how long. So you can tell there's frustration and disconnect there where he, in a way it is a doomed relationship so to speak, um, because they're never going to fully know about each other's lives in that way. So you knew it wasn't going to end up pretty. Well, it at least made you understand the infidelity. Mm-hmm. You know, if he was if he was away for so long under uh, covert you know, reasons, right? And, and, and he's gone for a very long time. Um, and you can tell that... Uh, uh, this relationship that she formed, there, there really did not seem to be any passion in that relationship whatsoever. And I think they made a, for me anyways, that they made a clear distinction when they were in bed together. I mean, that's, that's, that's a form of sex, but there seemed no passion behind it. And when she was, when they were done with the deed and she gets up and she realizes, like, this, is, this isn't even fulfilling what I wanted, like this is dumb. This is a stupid mistake. Um, and again, it's it's more into the self destruction of. Do you think that Cain found out? Because that's something else that I read that Cain was was aware that something that she was having an, uh, an affair, 
so mm-hmm. to speak. And maybe that's why he left a day early. Or, But the last time that we were, they were together as a couple before he went off, there was some hint of... Like, they weren't the happy-go-lucky couple that we had seen in the flashbacks earlier mm-hmm. of the times that they shared. So do, do you believe that he knew or had somehow found out or felt it or... Yeah, I mean, I'd like to think that he did know because just the way he left, he was even, uh, like, disconnected from her. Sort of, right? Um, it seemed like he's like, I'm, I'm leaving. Sorry. I gotta leave a day early. <laughs> yeah, and, like, he, he didn't seem like he felt too bad. He's like, this is just my job. Um, so it seemed like emotionally he, he was already done or, or hurt enough that he wanted to leave. Yeah, and I was having, I was going back and forth with what you just said and whether or not, like, because he knew what this mission was entailed or, or what this mission entailed for him. Obviously, there are, there are other missions preceding him. Obviously, they know that these people aren't, never made it back. And he signed up to do this mission and he knew the all likelihood he wasn't going to be coming back. Why do you choose to go on a mission? Even if you're, okay, your spouse has an extramarital affair. You talk about depression, right, earlier. Is he so depressed that the choice of a suicide mission is better than trying to reconcile? I I mean, it could be. It could be. Especially, I mean, part of it, you know, what you don't even have to necessarily call it a suicide mission, but uh, uh, adrenaline junkies. Right, it's kind of almost like the same thing where you just have to fill your cup of tea to feel alive, and so in that sense, with as far as the relationship, if he doesn't feel alive, a, a sense of any pride and so forth, whether he calls it a suicide mission or not, it's certainly thrilling. But that's what the, that's what the main premise and feeling and thought behind the Hurt Locker is about. Mm-hmm. What you just said. I only use the word suicide mission because the movie and characters use yeah. the word. I'm not like, a, you know, I'm not. But I just wanted to offer a counterpoint sure. to that and as to why, and like, him in particular. Um, so, I, yeah, well, I wanted to offer that counterpoint of, yeah, he, he, a different side of it to suicide mission is adrenaline junkie. Sure. You know, it's not to say, like, when you jump out of a plane that it's a suicide mission, but, you know, granted, when you sign up for that thing, it literally says, you might die, sign here. No. Pretty much verbatim. It's one of the reasons yeah. why I don't do that. <laughs> because my luck. I mean, I, I can see where you say that also, but we didn't see that much of Kane for the audience to think that he is in, in a general and junkie. This is stuff that he's always doing. Like, it seemed like, yeah, he was going on a mission, but that was just because of his work. Not because, hey, I have to do this because I love I love the thrill. Yeah, and, 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 and you know... Um, reiterate to the movie did make a point to show them together as a couple happy happy mm-hmm. as a couple together so yeah it was just it's it's interesting and when and now we we also learned from the movie why that version why that doppelganger of Kane goes back to Lena because the real self said go find Lena mm-hmm. you know and again, to me, that goes sort of falls more under the category of thing, the thing or alien invasion, because I was compatible with her. At least at one time, I was compatible. 
that, that you might she was be, my yeah. life. Yeah, and you, if you're me, if I'm you, you're me, you should seek her out. Uh-huh. Second chance in a you know, interest, You know, if this is what your goal is. Okay. So I, I, what do I know? Well, let's. <laughs> it's all refractions and. Let me, let, let, uh, you know, I know you guys haven't read the books, but let me pose you guys questions uh, that bring up the differences between the two, and I'm bringing them up more so from a thematic standpoint uh, because I, it's interesting. I don't necessarily mind when a movie is different than the book, uh, no. but like Jurassic Park, for example, vastly different movie to book. But the spirit and tone of it kind of different. It is the same. Whereas here, I want to get you guys' perspective, and hopefully my reading of it doesn't skew you one way or the other, and you guys can come to your own conclusion. But one of the big things is, um, in the book, Area X, um, the biologist, which is Natalie Portman, she she, she discovers a tunnel now she calls it a tower and it's a very it continues to be like this thing like i think it's a tower even though it's underground anyway uh she's drawn to this place and she goes down deep into it uh and there's letters in written there and but they're they're live letters it's it's essentially plants and the reason she changes and gets her heightened sense of anything is because it it shoots her in, in the face and that's how she starts changing so until that happens everything's you remain the same. You're you're just kind of like a visitor to the zoo, essentially, right? Uh, the movie makes it very <laughs> different because by entering, you become contaminated right off right. the bat. And so I want to get you guys' perspective, A, about that change, and B, how that maybe affects your reading of hmm. the movie. So I'd imagine that'd be the equivalent of her going into that tunnel at the end in the lighthouse, and she's, she's gearing, gazing into that big spherical orby glow thingy. I mean, you know, <laughs> that it works. was pretty to look it at. It worked. It was pretty to look at. Um, it didn't really like attack her, so to speak, or, you know, spit things in, in her face to change her DNA. It was like afterwards. It took her blood. That was it. That was it. But but, but don't forget her DNA was already changing. Yeah. Um, but but, but like it, it only needed movie. her blood sure. to get that simple drop of blood, enough DNA to create a whole nother self. Right. And to see compatibility, uh, I, I think. Because I think a lot of it is what what is this compatible with? Like what, how can we restructure this so that it, that it regenerates the way the alien potentially is. Now, it's interesting because the way you described that story is that she sees the, the floor and it shoots her in the face. Like, you just you just took a plot line out of the original Star Trek series where Spock gets shot with spores and it changes him. Well, I didn't, but Jeff Vandermeer <laughs> but, did. Right. Well, nah, I mean, well, well, but, you just described it. Okay. So, in, but in it, the book, does it duplicate as well? Or does it just change the original host? Ooh, that's a question you're asking me. I should have read the whole book if you want me to answer that. I mean, that that could be a major plot point because if if the plant in the book is what changes the original host of Lena, then essentially we only have one person at the end of the book compared to a duplicate of Lena in the movie. Right, but I think another thing that that's important uh, that we can add to this character because we were just talking about this is that... Um, her husband, or Cain, uh, dies, like in in in, in the book version. 
he dies. So that takes away this whole relationship thing that we were just talking about. Uh, I do, I mean, from, from a movie standpoint, I find it more interesting that he doesn't quote-unquote die. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it is, in a sense, a rescue mission. So, and if there is a change to take place, if there is an evolution to happen because of these spores or this refraction of DNA, uh, that, to me, it makes it more of a, a cinematic cohesiveness. And there's a goal. The, the, there's a goal where, I guess, in the book, the goal is to find out what killed him. And how is it going to affect other people? I mean, I haven't read the book, but I am just going on. To but in a nutshell, yeah, the, the way it's described is that the book is far more hopeful than what the movie ends up being. Which, of course, you kind of have to be. You've, you have two other books to right. continue this on with. Whereas uh, Alex Garland has stated this is one and done. He is not interested right. in, in a sequel, let alone a third movie right. in this uh, Annihilation trilogy for Garland. Right. Or would be. Well, so, essentially for the film, there, like, it did have a beginning, middle, and end in, in, in itself. It wrapped it up. Sure. So. Well, and again, I don't mind... Like, okay, the, the way, yeah, it does have a beginning, a middle, and an end. We, we can theorize what happens after the end, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, but just going back, use, using Carpenter's The Thing, uh, you know, that movie ends on a far more morose note. Like, and it, and it ends with two people in this campsite. And are they... Are they transformed? Are they transfigured? Is one of them transfigured? We're never going to know that ending. But in this ending, we know that they've transformed and they're going to go on and perhaps proper. We don't know what their what their ultimate goal is. But I would have to say, since they spent so much time saying it changes everything to their nature, that now that they have two living beings on the planet Earth, that I don't know. It's there a great way to describe the book and the movie. Yeah. Now we have two entities we living. Two <laughs> living. Right. Is it live or Memorex? Um, all right. Any other story stuff that you guys want to touch upon before we get into more of the behind-the-scenes stuff? Um, I, I like the, the, the creatures. I mean, it's not, I mean, kind of adds to the story, but just how the, the creatures were also mutated. Because, yeah, we changed the, the physical... And the physiological, more so, uh, DNA of the humans, but also how it affected the the creatures, like the bear. What? The I mean, bear? The, 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 the... It was a mutated bear, but it, it just, like, that. I think that also just adds to the narrative of, like, the, all the plants, all the bears, and all the people. Everything changes within the shimmer. Yeah, I mean, you had the shark-a-dial. Which seemed yeah. to come right out of a sci-fi D movie type of a plot, sci-fi channel kind of thing. Is that also in the book? Yeah, had the yeah. What's that? Oh, you didn't like, get that uh, far. But, but you had the. I, I call it the mocking Jay Bear <laughs> because <laughs> yes. that's what it is. It's imitating. You, you know, yes. this time. very done to incredible great effect and creepiness. Um, and again, it just led to uh, America Ferrer, right? I forget what her character's no. name. No, who was that? Gina Rodriguez. Gina Rodriguez. My, my, my apologies. Don't get she, the Latinos messed she, up. No, but she, she like, again, she was the one that didn't believe 
this bear. And she ties everybody, all the rest of the surviving members up, thinking that they're crazy. Mm-hmm. And that was an intense scene because we're actually seeing her going into dementia. Yeah, you kind of right. Yeah, sorry not to cut. No, you. but um, but the girls, you did kind of see a slow devolve, devolving aspect of all of them. They were de- deteriorating, but I, I think uh, Anya, who was you know Gina Rodriguez, yeah. she was the most likable out of all of them. Did at you the think beginning. so? Yeah. Oh, at the beginning. At the, at beginning. the beginning, yes. Yeah. At the beginning. Agreed. And literally, I had this conscious thought. I was like, oh, shit, something's going to happen to her. And she ultimately becoming becomes the like the most dislikable person. Right. She changed the most in this film. And I, th- I think it was uh, a really cool aspect of, yeah, we're in this time where, you know, Me Too movement, women power, time's up. And I love it. It's a good movement uh, moving forward in history. But also just... When women are pitted against each other, it's yes. not pretty. Yeah, no, and and again, I take this to yeah. This is right out. This is heart of darkness. This is like the journey in which you can either lose your sanity and trying to find that objective, which would you know, Kurt. The lighthouse is Kurt in this, right? So we've got it's heart of darkness apocalypse now. It's taking this journey down unfamiliar territory and how this could lead to. To madness, and that character went mad. She went south and real quick. I, she went south, and I was actually afraid of our for our other characters because they they were still trying to cope with what the hell may be happening to them, and now she's got them tied and gagged, and the Mockingjay bear is outside. Uh, to me, when the Mockingjay bear took her, I was like, yay. <laughs> I'm like that. That'll that'll learn you. They weren't lying <laughs> about this, but there was such a creepy. The design of the bear, the sounds that the bear made it was it was done to to very very great effect. I felt, you know. Yeah, I mean, the, they got all as far as the visual. They got a lot of things amazing. Mm-hmm. I, yeah. You know, whether it's the creatures, whether it is the shimmer. Uh, of the wall slash dome, whatever you're going to call it. And even the doppelganger, like that, the fact that we linger on that scene for so long, if that visually doesn't work. Oh, you're laughing. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, and maybe it's a testament to the, you know, maybe initially isolated as a, let's say as a short film, you could laugh at that. But in the context of everything, uh, the, the movie made it work. Right. And I remember people just walking out, and I don't think they were, like, angry or whatever. They they were literally just pondering in, in a – well, part of it was a sense of was this good, was it bad? But they were just, as Marissa said, mind fucks. So they're like, all right, I got to process this. Mm-hmm. 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 And, uh, and but, but it is a testament because it, it, if the visuals did not work, then people wouldn't have that feeling. Right, and I think a lot of credit should be given to Mark Digby, uh, production designer on the film, who is, you know, trying to come up with this stuff because, you know, it's very interesting. Uh, and, I want, and I'll get back to the bear in a second, but he, he's quoted as saying, uh, it's really hard to make a representation of a human and plant without thinking Edward Scissorhands. <coughs> and I got to be honest with you, that's one of the first things I go, oh, it's a topiary. What do they have topiaries here for? <laughs> like, what's going on? Um, 
So he's right. It is hard <laughs> to not think of 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 See, that. See, I didn't think of that until just now. <laughs> there you go. Now you're not going to be able to well, get it out of your now head. Now you've ruined it for me. <laughs> Thank sorry. you. I'm so sorry, but um, listen, they had a challenge to do because how do you how do you, again talking about the bear? You know, he was. Ooh. It was. He, he said that this thing that this the egos he had to make it as sad as it was scary the sad part being that the starting point was this is a damaged creature this is a creature that's not quite taking to the dna refractals or refracturing it within itself but it's gotten this 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 ability to mimic the sound of its of its uh victims so whether it be a human or or, or or some other idea, maybe whatever it was, but if you noticed its face, its face looked as if it were like just cancerous ridden. It was in decay. Um, so it didn't seem like being that bear was all that great of a cup of tea. <laughs> um, it looked like it was painful and maybe it was attacking because of of this thing. Um, but again, the sounds that we used and the sound design made the scene and the way that it was shot and it was dark. It was, in a way, it really wasn't using sense of smell. Like, it seemed to be more keyed on, on, right, noise. Yeah. Um, so I found it to be very, uh, it was a very fascinating thing. And it had been, and again, just going by what Mark Digby says, you know, um, it had been destroyed and changed also. Um, so it was a starting point for, for, for what was a damaged creature. We wanted to be powerful as well as threatening. And it was certainly threatening. Even uh, before that room scene, when it takes um, that, that other biologist, the first, its first victim, and it, because they, they're uh, looking for it. Yeah. And and um, it it like it's like oh my god it tore a hole through the fence like a zipper, and the first time we see it uh, was pretty intense uh, as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So. The, the cool thing about the bear is that uh, they actually did build a like a, a real sized um, head bear head for, yeah. and they actually puppeteered it on set. Um, they they created the, the design via visual effects, but then uh, you know in the concept art and all that. But they did actually build a practical bear skull so, to move around. Yeah. So you you had your real time reaction there. Absolutely, and the shimmer itself too, which I find interesting. You know, had some um, was inspired too in part by the aurora borealis. Uh, I didn't find yeah. anything to me. It looked like dish soap. It, it, it softens your hands. While you're hunting bear, <laughs> so um, hey, maybe that was it's it. You know, there was, it, it, you know, there was a very conscious decision to make. I mean, even the plants. Like, you said this earlier too. All that had whatever was the gardening, the the the, the flowers, the plants themselves had a vibrancy to them, which again makes this like, is this? bad is this good but wherever the plants were there was that ugly hole mm-hmm. like remember when they got to um that the second camp mm-hmm. and 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 that guy was there and there was that big hole and everything seemed to be emanating from that but there were still some very vibrant colored flowers or 
whatever you want to call them. We did learn but, something very important from the plants is that they had the the, the Hox gene or the, the, the Hox genetic makeup of the actual physical form of yes. humans. Mm-hmm. I was like, that's important. And then 30 minutes later, we actually got the alien with the actual form of the of the human form. I'm like, yep, there it right. is. Yeah. Um, so as cool as the plants were, they were they did serve a purpose too, that they can replicate the human form. Which, by the way, a lot of the science stuff, ironically, is somewhat verifiable. If you Google, and I've included a couple of things in the rundown, but if you Google scientific accuracy of annihilation, a a crap ton of articles will come up, and you can just dig through it, and it's quite fascinating. I like that. So um, if you like science, dig in. Yeah, there's a... I Googled... Annihilation production, and uh, <laughs> there's actually a book called Annihilation Production. <laughs> and I was like, "Damn it! <laughs> I have to where I go now." Who knew? <laughs> but yeah. yes, there, there, there is a bunch that you can come up with, and 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 again with the way that the cells replicate, and you know, there seemed to be some science fact um, blended in with the with 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 this fiction. Yeah. Um, one of the this is kind of slightly back to story, but um, I do want to bring it up. Uh, I think the biggest difference between Arrival and Annihilation is that, uh, as far as the government is concerned, in both um, Arrival does a much better job of introducing kind of their role in the alien invasion versus this one. Just mm-hmm. seems very hyper real. Um, so I thought. That was an interesting difference between right. the two. And I think Arrival did a good job of uh, exp- uh, explaining that these aliens aren't there to do harm. You know, they they, they were just right. there. They didn't have a nefarious purpose where this one, they, they clearly set up the idea. If you go into the Shimmer, everything dies. People kill each other. Nothing comes out. You know, so there was already like a negative connotation with death to, to this race compared right. to... Uh, arrival. And, and I still believe too that that the military in um, in annihilation, I still believe that they're uninformed, like mm-hmm. as to what happening. truly is happened or happening. So they weren't as informed, I think, as as those who were in 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 the arrival and and the team going into the arrival too is is again more the type of team that one might be accustomed to to watching a science fiction type thing. I, I just don't think that the that the military or the scientists in Annihilation were any more the wiser once they got to the end of that story that uh, Lena had, yeah. had, had said. Well, let's, uh, you know, this doesn't necessarily answer it 100%, but there's a whole sequence that was cut out in editing, 10 minutes. Right. And it pretty much was... Uh, Jennifer Jason Lee's character and Natalie Portman. And just like that 10 minutes they were able to take out. Uh, let me read a couple of quotes. Um, to, 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 the deleted scene in question occurs during the first meeting between Natalie Portman's Lena and Jennifer Jason Lee's Dr. Ventress. In the theatrical cut, Ventress' team abducts Lena after her husband falls ill. Lena wakes up in a holding room and is introduced to Ventress. The original moment, however, found Lena waking up and before meeting Ventress, finding a way to escape the room. She knocks out a guard, steals his gun, and leaves the fact 
uh, facility only to realize she's in a remote area with nowhere to run. Explaining it, um, Garland says, it's it's this weird thing that happens in a script to seeing it uh, that... That things make sense sometimes when you're reading it, but when you watch it, it immediately stops making sense. Essentially, what makes it in the sequence is that Natalie Portman, quite early in the film, is locked in a sort of chamber where she first meets Dr. Ventures, and then she leaves. Natalie's character, Lena, is stuck there, and she escapes, and that chamber knocks out a guard, blah, blah, blah. Um, but And essentially, she runs out. But through that escape, she's supposed to run out and see the shimmer for herself, mm-hmm. um, which is a form of containment. You can either choose to go in the shimmer or you can choose to... It, it both are essentially become a form of entrapment. Sure. Interesting. In a sense. I, I mean, like, I think theoretically it made more sense to just have a more civil conversation of, yeah, I abducted you, but let's talk first, compared to Lena running and then finding out all for herself and then probably being heated having a heated conversation with Ventress, so... Yeah, and I think breaking that deleted scene down, too, I think it becomes a question of, okay, what do we want here? What do we, we what do we want to do? Do we want the discovery of the Shimmer to be in shock? Because, mm-hmm. like, you know that that scene leads to her going outside, seeing that, and she's just stopped. And then Ventress most likely comes up from behind her and says, yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's like, why, why would you here. want to decide to go in it later if you're already afraid of it. Uh, yeah, and, well, as a scientist, it could be something of awe, and then, like, all the pieces of the puzzle come together. This is what this is what Kane was going into. Uh, or, for the sake of this movie, is it better to have the dialogue? Because they still both end up on that balcony. Look, you know, yeah. this, is, this is the mission. Yeah. Um, so... I think from the cinematic standpoint, from the way that this movie is paced, um, the the way that Garland and company chose to go by taking out that deleted scene, it, I think it was for the for the act of telling the story. I think it was the better choice. Yeah, and you want to get to the shimmer faster. That's where the story is. That's where all of this is leading to. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so, the faster you get there the better the movie becomes, right. in my opinion. Uh, let's talk about the the music, because if there's... Ho- hopefully you guys agree, but I, I, I love the music. It was very... Yeah. Uh, um, haunting is a good word. Particularly sure. the synthesizers and... and the, yeah, the synthesizers used to make the three or four notes... Of what depicted the alien, mm-hmm. um, especially in the lighthouse scene when she's fighting herself. As they say, it's four simple notes. So uh, here's kind of um, the two composers are Jeff Barrow and Ben Salisbury, who have collaborated often, whether Free Fire, Ex Machina. Um, I believe Jeff Barrow only he did Fantastic Four. I don't know if Ben collaborated with him on that, but. Um, Salisbury says of that you are hearing synths as I said it's the only time in the score that synths and Electrox make an overt appearance they do so purposefully in this part of the film so that right. it stands apart it would have been done on um, 
uh, with various secret ingredients put in, but it's essentially as simple as it can be. It's four notes. Sometimes the most arresting things are the simplest things. So... I can believe that. I mean, if you want to take it to uh, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, I was just you had the John thing. Williams and his five notes yeah. of the synths. So, I mean, I think simplicity really does work, especially for aliens. Why not? Yeah, it makes well, sense. And, and it's funny that you brought that up because that's exactly <laughs> when I read that same article and we talked about it because um, Spielberg wanted, like, I want, like, three or four notes. And he's like, you really can't do that. That's not a song. <laughs> like, five notes make up a, a, a song. Anything less than that... Four notes it could make be discons- up a bar. Right. It, it's, it could be uh, disorientating, which it was here. So obviously, John Williams is onto something, and this person <laughs> took that same <laughs> exactly. And by using the four and using the synths to that sound, and again, we could talk about this once we start going into uh, Netflix territory, but hearing it in a theater that's equipped with really good sound... I mean, those notes, that, that sound was very uh, uncomfortable. Yeah, I you think... Know, done to effect. It was, and that's where synthesizer was done to. Score was done to effect. Right. Mm-hmm. And then the, the scene that I definitely noticed it, because it was all just music, was when she actually lights the, the alien on, on yes. fire, and the whole lighthouse just goes up in, in no. flames. Because... There's there's no dialogue during it. It's just mm-hmm. literally a crescendo of music as the place is burning up in flames. I, I think it was very well done, um, very creepy at the same time. And it was used in the trailer mm-hmm. uh, as yeah. well, which they didn't know that they were going to pop that into the trailer. But again, I think um, I did find there was effectiveness to the trailer. I thought as a marketing tool, even though it's kind of a bait and switch. Well, it, you know. It, 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 Got me interested. I don't know how else you market that movie after watching that movie. But the trailer music is so well done. Yeah, too. Sure, sure, absolutely. Yeah, I, I don't know. I didn't. I didn't find the trailer misleading in the sense it just initially it felt like more for me a more of a boring movie than it actually ended up being. Interesting. So, um, anywho, all right. Well, why don't we get into the Netflix territory? Uh, first off, so overall right now, 87% on Rotten Tomatoes out of 174 reviews with a U.S. cinema score of C, uh, which isn't uh, necessarily great. And the reason I say that is because one of the producers uh, of the movie really didn't feel like people would understand this movie. Through test screenings, people were highly confused. And so forth. However, he did not have final cut. Scott Rudin did, and he believed in the project as uh, as it was, which led to them being like, "Okay, we're gonna distribute it." However, the international rights were selling off, and mm-hmm. Netflix buys it. Yeah, and I think too, it was uh, if if um, if I read it correctly, it was it was a battle of two producers. It was Scott Rudin and uh, his name David Ellison. David uh, Ellison, uh, yeah. Ma- Megan's brother. Uh, Skydance, because Skydance produced it, and uh, there was a big, there was a big um, battle as to what, how this was going to be done, and how this was going to be perceived. Um, so, look at it's a hard sell. Uh, if we're going to get into this, um, 
this whole Netflix deal. Uh, we talked. I talked about it at some length when I did meet the movie press a few weeks ago um, because the movie uh, Cloverfield Paradox, which made the big splash in the Super Bowl, and that was sold from Paramount. That was sold by Paramount to Netflix to escape the theatrical route. And 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 I use the words escape and route um, purposely because had that movie gone through distribution ends. Um, it probably well, it was going to get routed by the critics for sure, and they probably would not have made uh, much of their money back. Where 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 Netflix paid fifty million dollars up front to get that movie on there. I'm not sure what Netflix may have paid for Annihilation. Uh, I haven't seen the figures. Garland. I am disappointed in Alex Garland's feeling and thoughts about this because he's basically giving in um this movie was shot to be on, on the big screen and if that's what you're making it for wait you you, you well, saw evidence that he gave into it well he was he actually he's got no problem with 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 i have a whole different film. quote yeah, he, oh, it sounded I was like, like he seeing... was actually very upset that it was he, on here's what here's I, the quote i have did, okay and then you tell me right. where yours comes from and how it's different um, a week after, he said, we made the film for cinema. I've got no problem with the small screen at all. The That's best genre... But, but, okay, so then it was taken out of context, in which we could talk about. The best genre piece I've seen in a long time was The Handmaid's Tale. So I think there's incredible potential within that context. But if you're doing that, you make it for that medium, and you think of it in those terms. Look, it is what it is. This film is getting a theatrical release in the States, which I'm really pleased about. One of the biggest pluses of Netflix is that it goes out to a lot of people, and you don't have the strange opening, a strange opening weekend thing where you're wondering if anyone will turn up, and if they don't, it vanishes from cinema screens in two weeks. So it's got a, it's plus and minuses, but from my viewpoint and the collective of the people who made it, it was made to be seen on a big screen. It had to be. Yeah, I so. mean, this is a cinematic film. Hands Made Tale is not, and and just the the sound design and the visual aspects of this film. You'll you'll only really experience the full thing and appreciate it in a five point one surround system. Oh, or even more so. But I want to go back to the Netflix thing because I think what Netflix is introducing now, okay, and what's what the potential of happening is, particularly with Cloverfield Paradox. Okay, number one. Throughout the year, there are what is called dumping grounds for for, for distributing movies. They, they tend to be right after the holidays, so like going on right after New Year's, so January, February, and into early March, right? Everybody's back to work, back to school. They're not going to the movies as much, all right? There are a couple of movies that could come out to be sleeper hits, but for the most part, studios are putting their movies that they don't feel are going to be able to compete with summer movies, with the holiday movies, uh, and, and then it happens right after Labor Day, uh, so we're looking at end of August, right into beginning of September, and right into the beginning of October. They were traditionally known as dumping grounds, where they would put their weaker titles uh, out to market or for the audiences. Right? They would take a chance. Some movies actually could do. Some movies did well because they re- released good movies. Other movies, you just never, you never heard from them again. Okay, so they lost money. What Netflix is doing now, or appears to be doing, is taking that away. You pay a studio like Paramount $50 million for a movie like Cloverfield, you can, um, basically that mitigates their, their P&A cost. 
Like, they don't have to worry about distributing a movie. They don't have to worry about the publicity of said movie, like, taking people on tour to market the movie. They don't have to make posters. They don't have to make any in-theater marketing material. They're getting $50 million right up front. So if that movie costs $30 million, $40 million, they're making money, right? Netflix looks at it as, I'm getting a commodity. I'm getting a Cloverfield movie or the guy that directed Ex Machina. I can get their movie. They can market it via Netflix, and they're going to get views in one way, shape, or form. And whatever the audience makeup is, if the audience doesn't like it, no big deal. They're already subscribing. They're not going to quit their subscription because they saw a shitty movie or television show on Netflix. At the movie, they'll get soured and maybe never go to a movie again. <laughs> it's like, oh, I felt burned from that. I get it, and it is, in a sense, could be changing our distribution model. I, for one, am happy that this movie was released theatrically, regardless of what I think of the movie, okay? This deserved to be... You can understand why a studio... The guy did Ex Machina, which was held to great esteem. Critics liked it. Audiences liked it. It had a good run. I think the biggest mistake that Paramount made is the way in which it was distributed, they did go wide where I believe Ex Machina sort of kind of filtered out. They didn't mm-hmm. mitigate any risk. They went out 2,000 plus screens, which, let's be honest, 2,000 in this day and age, when you're going up against a Black Panther or a Star Wars movie, which is more than double what 2,000 is, right? But still, they have to market it. They have to get ads for it. They need people to talk about, you know, whether it be cast and the director. All that costs money. And when we're looking at, you know, when we look at this movie, the sad thing about it is, is that it really isn't making that much money at the box office. A C, as you mentioned, on CinemaScore does not help. That's for sure. It got an 87% on Rotten Tomatoes, which is good. Very high. That's very high. Pretty high. Uh, you know, the, for right? sci-fi, which uh, uh, people are brutal about sci-fi. They can be very brutal about sci-fi, but a C-score means there is going to be no word about to support this movie. Also, you know, you have to throw in there, there is the unprecedented box office of Black Panther. Black mm-hmm. Panther has been a juggernaut and a tidal wave. Right. It's just it's the big thing that's sucking up all the water. It's sucking up all of the audience where Well now you're gonna have two movies. Wrinkle in time and Black Panther and Disney against Disney. Yeah, and and so that too was when you're looking at a release date, you think, Oh, well, I'm coming out a couple of weeks after that we know the Black Panther is gonna open big, but will it be able to sustain? Nobody knew that it was going to sustain in such record-breaking fashion in its second, third week, right? So, you, you more or less, they, they, they got, it was just, it was a perfect storm for this movie not to do well. $40 million cost. Somebody's thinking, Jesus Christ, we could have gotten $50 million for this movie. You know, because it had a cast. But then you'd have people, I think once you go to Netflix, you already downgrade the quality and quantity of 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 your your product. You know, yeah. once I hear that Cloverfield is going to Netflix instead of it opening up on the big screen, I'm thinking, eh, this movie's not that great. And when I just recently saw movies like Bright, like Bright would never make it on the big screen. You understand why it's on Netflix? I, I mean, Netflix has better looking television shows 
you know, and if you want to talk science fiction, like altered carbon, uh, yeah, per se. But I would have, I would have felt bad for uh, Garland and Company had they made the decision to 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 go to Netflix. I mean, anytime you make a movie, it's a work of art. There's a sacrifice in making that movie, and there's always risk involved. You know, um, the test screening process. Maybe they could have amended things. I don't know. But they knew that they sort of kind of had a movie that was a stinkeroo. So, yeah, but you have to go through with it. And um, I think it's too good-looking of a movie to just be on your Well, it would have been interesting because part of it was, okay, well, how do you change it up a little bit? And I think there could have been ways to change it up. I don't know. Um, well, what are your thoughts? Did you, would you have rather seen this on Netflix? No, I think, I, I think it was worth... It was definitely worth seeing on a big screen, but I can't necessarily fault, especially, you know, you have to factor in, it's Paramount. They haven't had a hit in forever. So, yeah, they're acting from a place of, how do we how do we just make money, period. Yeah, and, and I think Jim Giannopoulos is at a point where he's inherited all these projects, and he just wants them off his slate. He wants, yeah. because they aren't things that he oversaw. Okay, coming in. So I think that plays into it as well. But you can't take away that this is a theatrical movie. Yeah, as like I would not I would not have enjoyed this film as much if I watched it on Netflix. Honestly, it it is a, a movie made for a theater. It was. Well, Clearly. the movie hasn't come out yet internationally, so it'll be interesting to see reactions and I'm curious um for for fans that we have where Outside of the U.S., I'm, I'm curious to s- know your reaction to the movie because you will, unfortunately, I mean, I don't know how, but you'll never have that experience unless by some miracle. And, and that's where else they shot themselves in the foot, too, I believe, by selling off to Netflix. As we've proven on this show, there are times where the international release is making far more than the domestic release of that movie. And it's brought in the gross, the worldwide gross, upwards and onwards to $100 million. Who's gonna, who wants to say no to that? And when you have somebody like Alex Garland, when you have somebody who's an international star like Natalie Portman, right? Like, why wouldn't you go for that? And who knows? Maybe you get a higher percentage of, of, of box office internationally. That I mean, everybody's touting worldwide gross today now. It's it's hard. Like yes, we have our domestic gross. The top five well, I feel is still like, possible. I feel like the movies that do better internationally <clears throat> are usually the ones that center around a storyline that deals with international people. Well, so like worldwide type of story. like Arrival did great internationally sure. because so many countries were involved in that movie. And I feel just the story of Annihilation is like one little place in America. Uh, perhaps it's, it's not as international. As. I, I, you know, but science fiction always plays, I think, internationally. Um, and then when you have um, movies like, I don't know, well, the Fast and Furious movies, those play huge overseas. Even well, yeah, a Stallone movie, <laughs> yeah. But it's it's it. But they those stars are very big. And you're right. Arrival did $102 million overseas. It made over $100 million, $100.5 million domestically. So why not give it a shot? I don't know how they make their money internationally. And why do you have an international 
distribution department. Um, it's not going to do well. Well, you know. I, 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 again, you have to. I get where they're coming from. I'm not saying I agree with it, uh, but in this sense, they have not had a surefire bet in forever. The last thing they need is another thing on their hands. Yeah, you um, know what they did? They dumped it. Well, they again, I yeah. yeah. The the point is, I'm not going to sit here and argue against that. Yeah. Um, from their perspective, but it is it is what it is. It is what it is. All right. Well, uh, we can certainly talk about this movie uh, far more. There's so much to dissect there, but uh, unfortunately, that's uh, that's all we're going to give you today. But that's why we have the comments. You guys can rate. You guys can comment and let us know what you guys think. And uh, it's been fun. In the meantime, letter grade. What do you what do you give it? Quick letter grade. Yeah, B plus. Yeah, letter. strong B plus. All right, I'm more like the C minus than that. But I'm curious what the audience thinks because it did get an 87. percent That's well, that's, that's not the audience. Plus. Well, but, but that, that's, that's a, a B, B plus, plus from, from the critics. It's an 87 percent on Rotten Tomatoes. Yeah, well, the audience yeah. gave it a C. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So we'll see. Interesting. All right. In the meantime, where can people interact with you, Marissa? Everyone can follow me everywhere at Serafini Two. <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> everywhere. I follow you everywhere uh, at DMovies One Seven Zero One. Amazing. And follow me at Phil Svitek and uh, check out my website philsvitek.com for more information. Uh, Dimitri, do you want to, um, speaking of international casts, uh, since we have this platform, Brenda's thing, it's public, yeah? It is public, yeah. Do you want to, do you want to give a little plug for that? Uh, Well, sure, thank you. Um, yeah, I, I've set up, uh, I set up a memorial scholarship, uh, on behalf of my wife who passed away from cancer, uh, in 2016. It's, uh, with an organization that she would have been fond of and she would have contributed to. It's called A Place Called Home, and they, they, they specifically have a program called Girl Power, and with Girl Power, uh, it's there to incentivize, to inspire young girls from the ages of eight all the way up through their going to college, so... Uh, I set up a foundation under Brenda Rios Panos, the Brenda Rios Panos Foundation. Uh, if you go to a place called home.org, uh, you can find places to donate for this. Uh, know that it is really going for a good cause uh, and that uh, I did it because my wife, uh, albeit in another place, a, a better place, one without pain, uh, she can continue to inspire, and the scholarship will go to uh, girl or girls who are entering their first year of college, and it'll help them on their way. This is something that I know would have been very, very important for my wife to do. She would have been a part of the program had we both known about this prior to her passing. So uh, this is a way in which her name and legacy can t- continue to go on. So a place called home.org, Girl Power. There are places where you could uh, donate if, if you'd be so kind. Uh, when you do it, just put it in for the Brenda Rios Panos Foundation or scholarship program. Yes, and so. Brenda's had a been instrumental in inspiring, um, in particular, Hispanic girls to, oh. to get into the arts. And uh, when, when you talk about inclusion, you get... You know, I mean, that's it's it's a great side of the voice, and uh, you know, the effect of it won't be immediate, but in the coming years, hopefully, we'll be talking about some of their movies here on Anatomy. Yeah, you know, you can only hope. And if you are in the LA area, I strongly urge you to maybe take a tour, see what this girl power is all about, because you do have the opportunity. These are kids with troubled backgrounds, and they are given a place called home, but they're given reason, they're given purpose, and they're. They are really given something to inspire. It's meant to inspire young girls. And uh, 
my wife Brenda was an inspiration. She she had a troubled childhood and she became president marketing for Panaleone Films. She worked her way up through through hard work and love and and caring. So thank you very much. That that's a shock. I appreciate you allowing me the time. Of so course. thank you. It's very kind. Of course. So please go support and thank you guys as always for supporting us and uh, allowing us to continue doing what we do. Uh, with that scary noise, it's time for us to get out <laughs> that of here. That scary noise. Uh, talk to you guys later. Bye. Bye. From producers Maria Menunos, Kevin Undergaro, Phil Svitek, hey, and the Phil, entire Popcorn you. Talk Gosh. Network, we would like to thank you for tuning in. For questions or comments, be sure to visit popcorntalk.com. I'm Sir Richard Wentworth, and this has been a presentation of the Popcorn Talk Network. The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principals.